630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. It's Oprah's favorite sports talk show. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Early in the second period, Bruins and Sabres tied 1-1. Rangers up 2-1 on the Flyers. Predators and Blackhawks about to get underway. In an hour, it'll be the Canadians and the Flames. Minor COVID issue for the Flames. Didn't have a morning skate. The game will proceed at 8 o'clock tonight. The Wild will take on the Kings. Toronto Blue Jays off to a fast start against the Tampa Bay Rays. Jays got four in the top of the first. It's now the bottom of the third. Toronto is up 4 nothing in that game. The Oilers practice today after having yesterday off. And they are getting ready for the game in Winnipeg on Monday. 5.30 face-off show here on 6.30. Shed. The puck will drop at 7. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It is the weekend. Hope you have a good one planned. You can chime in by texting or calling 780-496-0063. The hotline is presented by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials pro all the way. We had a really fun discussion. Well, I don't know if it was fun discussion. It was enlightening and informative. I found it very enriching. We had an enriching discussion last night about the two physical games against the Montreal Canadiens and uh, rule enforcement and refereeing and player enforcement and all those types of things, which I think is going to be an ongoing conversation until the National Hockey League ceases to exist, quite frankly. Yeah, sometimes I get asked, well, when are, we gonna, when are, we, when are people going to start talking about the referees? When are people going to be satisfied with refereeing? You know when? When the earth is consumed by the sun and becomes nothing more than a floating piece of cinder. I mean, not to be too dark or anything, but as long as there's refereeing and there are sports and there are sports fans, people are going to complain about the officiating. But it was uh, it was good discussion, and it wasn't just all complaining. So I appreciate that. We'll visit uh, some of that tonight as we move along as well. But a pretty significant member of the Edmonton Oilers spoke to the media on Zoom today. He is not playing a game this season. He will not play a game this season. And that is Oscar Clefbaum. He had the surgery on his left shoulder in Cleveland about a month ago. He came to Edmonton a few days after. This was the first time he has spoken publicly since. And Jim Matheson of Post Media, the Hockey Hall of Fame writer, flat out asked Clefbaum if his doctor, if his surgeon, had told him that he could play in the NHL again. It's tough to say. He, he says, uh, I might be able to play again, but there's, so, there's always going to be a risk. Uh, okay. And we're just going to see where I'm at where when the rehab time is coming to an end and it's time to make a decision. Um, obviously, we're going to follow up during the time many, many times. Uh, but he he's optimistic, but he cannot really guarantee anything. All right, so you heard Oscar Clefbaum say it there. Optimistic that he can continue an NHL career. Oscar Clefbaum's only 27 years old, but nothing is guaranteed. Pretty significant surgery. I did ask Clefbaum if he could elaborate on what exactly happened. To be honest, it's uh, it's a lot of medical terms, obviously, and I don't really want to go into to what kind of surgery it was, but it was uh, it was a fairly significant surgery obviously and it's going to take some time and i gotta really be smart and and rush slowly um because obviously i still want to play hockey and and have a good life after so i really want to make sure i'm smart enough to to do the rehab in in the right uh, right timeline so once again it's really i know it's really boring but i just going to take one week and one month at a time here to see where i'm at in, in june and july august 
I asked Clefbaum that question in the context of that when he spoke in January on a, a Zoom call that was, it, quite frankly, quite raw. He was pretty honest. He was emotional. He said several times how life outside of hockey was a big concern for him, that he wanted to live, be able to live pain-free. And at a one point, he used the term shoulder replacement as a possible option. So I was asking you know, did you get a shoulder replacement? Can you tell us a little bit more about what happened? He, he didn't want to get into that, but he did say it was a pretty significant surgery. He was also asked by Mark Spector of Sportsnet if the shoulder, if he thinks the shoulder can hold up once he gets back into the hard-hitting National Hockey League. Yeah, there's, I, I wish I had more answers, but we're just going to wait and see. Like I said, it's, it's, it's been a big... Uh, it's a big, serious surgery, and, and we got to give it some time. Uh, and for me to say here I'm going to be ready in October or November or whatever, it's, it's, it's impossible. We're just going to give it some time. Uh, and like I said, I'm going to do all my best to, to get the best shoulder I can possibly get. So how does he get there? How does he get the best shoulder he can possibly get? Clefbaum was asked about his rehab schedule. Um, now in the beginning, it's not really a lot I can do because it's still, um, it's going to take some time for the muscles to heal and they, they need some time. Um, obviously it's going to be, uh, very boring not to be around the guys here, hopefully in the playoffs and all that, because, uh, I'm going to go home for, for, for a bit and then obviously come back and see the doctors to, to check up on things. Um, but once, once again, I'm just going to go home and do my best, um, the best I can do to, to be in the best shape I can be in the, in the late summer so late summer and then as he said also doesn't know if he's going to be ready for october november a lot of uncertainty with oscar clefbaum not just with his health not just with his ability to play in the national hockey league but what team he is going to be on he was also asked today if he would be shocked if the oilers left him unprotected in the expansion draft i wouldn't be shocked Obviously, I want to be here, and, and, and I want. Obviously, my whole NHL career has been here at Edmonton, and I, and I love the city, and I love the organization and the guys here. Uh, but it's it's business. Uh, I understand Kenny is in a in a situation, a tough situation for all the NHL teams when it's to protecting players for the expansion draft. Uh, but there's nothing I can't really do, or, or there's nothing I can prevent. Like I, I, I just gonna do everything I can in my power to to be ready when the puck drops. And if it's in Seattle or Edmonton, that's that's not up to me. Okay, so those are some of the key comments today for Oscar Clefbaum. You can get more on the Oilers page on globalnews.ca or 630ched.com. The Seattle Kraken are going to have the expansion draft on July 21st. The uh, Oilers are likely pr- to protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goaltender. Obviously, they're protecting Settle and McDavid. They're going to protect Pugliarvi and Yamamoto. Unrestricted free agents, I, and I, also, I would also think they're going to protect Josh Archibald. Uh, unrestricted free agents like Nugent Hopkins and Larson will see, certainly if they get re-signed before then, um, th- they would be protected. For the goaltender... I mean, look, I'm sure they're going to expose Miko Koskinen. I would doubt Miko Koskinen is going to get picked up. And we've had a lot of discussion about Koskinen this season. He's we, We've now seen he's a really good backup goaltender. If he's playing three out of every 10 games, he's got a save percentage over 920. When he had to carry the load before Mike Smith came back, his play was uh, was shaky at times, good at times, but shaky at times. 
Are they going to protect Alex Stalock? Are they going to protect Stuart Skinner, who is right now having a good season on the farm? But I, I would think that they would probably expose Oscar Clefbaum if they, if they don't know about his shoulder and they might be able to pursue some other players who could fill the void for Clefbaum. And now, look, we don't know if Tyson Berry is going to be back. It's interesting with three – we'll leave Mike Smith out of this discussion for now. But with the other the, – the three skaters who are free agents for the Oilers, who will be free agents for the Oilers, then that's Larson, Barry, and Nugent Hopkins. I actually think Adam Larson is priority number one to bring back for next season. And, and maybe Larson takes – he might even take a slight – pay cut to come back maybe on a three or four year deal and uh, and you have him locked up barry's been great on the power play we've seen him struggle at times five on five there is no doubt he has helped and he's the best offensive defenseman that the orders have had in a long time is bouchard going to be able to do close what he did uh, he could do though and then maybe you have some other guys who can help five on five as well kulikov's a bit of a wild card in this as well um, you know, he's on an expiring contract. And if he, uh, if he does well, then, then maybe he's somebody the others bring back too. So just some things there to keep in mind with Oscar Clefbaum. Again, he didn't give a lot of clarity today. I think he was quite honest though, for the most part that, uh, there's a lot to deal with here. It's going to be a long recovery. I certainly do not expect him to, be ready for training camp on September 22nd. I, I think we're looking for something that if he at something that if he does play, um, you know, if it's a nine month rehab, he got the surgery in late March. Well, that's Christmas time. You know, that's maybe he's not back till January of 2022. So a little bit of an update there on Oscar Clefbaum. We'll get the update on uh, Jujar Kara and Zach Cassian as well. When we get back, it's inside sports on Chet. text here from former d-man mark who says reed i think it's six to nine months of rehab for clefbaum considering that oscar has had a history of horrible health when it comes to being physically professional sports able why the hell would you even consider pushing him to be ready for next season absolutely leave him unprotected that in large part would be if they are able to extend tyson berry that is from former d-man mark yeah i don't think he's uh, i don't think he's going to be protected and uh, you let, I guess, Seattle have the decision if they want to bring him on and see where they go from there. I, I, I Here's the thing I, I wonder, Mark, is, is, Barry, is Barry's contract dependent on Clefbaum being available or is Barry's contract dependent on them thinking Evan Bouchard can, can jump in and take on some of that responsibility? I mean, right now on the power play, it's usually Barry followed by Nurse. Sometimes Nurse starts. Could the Oilers on the power play next year have Nurse followed by Bouchard in the rotation? And then, uh, so maybe the the right shot D are Larson, Bear, and Bouchard. And on the left side, you would still have Chris Russell, who's going to have a one-year contract next season. You'd have Darnell Nurse, and then is somebody like Kulikov back, um, Jones or Lagason? I, I don't know. Just some of the things to consider. 
Gary writes in as well. He says, hey, Reed, where did you buy the horseradish and cheddar chips? Well, Gary, that's a really important question. I'm glad you asked. I got them at the Italian Center on 95th. They've had them there for years. They're delicious. It's Deep River is the company. It's an orange bag, and the flavor is horseradish and cheddar, and they are delicious. And I've had friends refuse to eat them. Two or three years ago, a buddy of mine uh, had me over to hang out play a couple games with uh, him and his wife and a couple other friends they'd invite over. And I brought these chips as a good house guest. You got to bring something, right? Because I'm thinking, okay, do I, uh, you know, do you, do you buy like a bag of nibs and put them in a bowl? Do I bring maybe the, the, the latest Spider-Man comic and say, oh, here's something for that you can read to your kids. But I was like, no, I'm going to bring the horseradish chips. These are great. It's a cool flavor. Nobody would touch them. They wouldn't even try them. They're outstanding, Gary. Go get some. What was I talking about, Kellen? I'm all, I, when I get talking about chips, that's I could do a whole show on chips. I'm not going to, though. Some night we'll do that. We'll you know, inside chips. <laughs> I'd give not it a the try. TV show. I'd give it a who, try. Who are the guys in the TV show? Chips. What are the names of the two actors? Oh, uh, I know Eric Estrada was one. Right. Uh, and then I can't remember who the other one was. And then they did a remake, right and I can't remember, obviously, who was in the remake or anything. But oh, was there a remake? There, I think there was a remake of, of Chips. Larry Wilcox and Eric Estrada. There you go. Yeah. There we go. All right. Well, now I'm all, uh, now I want Chips. Can't can't concentrate. Okay. <laughs> Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can text about sports, chips, nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties television, whatever you like. The Oilers did practice today. Jujar Kara. Here's the update from head coach Dave Tippett. He's been uh, cleared to skate, but no contact, and uh, so he got out there, did a little bit of practice, and then we scrimmaged a little bit that he didn't take part in. So. He's feeling all right, but I know he's still got some some more tests that he's uh, seeing some doctors. So he's just trying to uh, keep his skating legs a little bit, but not not really involved with the group right now yet. All right. So yeah, Kara started practice, and, and as uh, Tippett said, didn't finish once they got into more scrimmage-like activities. He was out there. Zach Cassian was not. Here's what Tippett had to say on that player. Actually, I'll probably a little farther along tomorrow with it. He still uh, was getting some tests done here today. He looks like he could be out a while, but I'll uh, maybe address that a little more tomorrow morning. Okay, so it looks like Cassian will be out a while. More information on him tomorrow. The Oilers will practice. Tippett will do his uh, media thing over Zoom, so uh, you can keep it on Twitter or on the 630 Shed website or just on the 630 Shed Sportscast to get more information on Cassian. Kulikov was out there paired with Adam Larson. They may try Kulikov with different partners, but that's how they went today. Nurse was back with uh, Barry. Russell was with Bouchard. Jones was with Bear. I don't know how they're going to lap up on Monday. Still a couple of more practices in a morning skate until we get there. It was interesting on the McDavid line. It was now Dominic Cahoon up there who has uh, not been overly productive this season, gets elevated all the way to play with Connor McDavid again today. We got a ways before a game here. Uh, so you had Cahoon on the left side with McDavid and Pugliarvi, and then you had Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, and Yamamoto together for the top six. So those are some of the notes from practice. Mike Smith remaining in the quote-unquote starters net. 
Danny says horseradish and cheddar chips are incredible. They are my go-to on the golf course. Thank you, Danny. And Trucker Rick says these chips actually, uh, Trucker, Rip, Trucker Rick wrote, sound interesting, these chips, which I believe is how Yoda would put it. Sound interesting. I'm not doing the Yoda voice because it, it'll really embarrass everybody. Sound, sound interesting, these chips are. Yeah, that, there we go. Kellen got it. And, uh, Truck, Trucker Rick also wants to know when is Star Trek Discovery back? It won't be back till the fall, won't it? Doesn't it usually start in November. Uh, Robbie says, uh, when I was six years old at my aunt's wedding, my dad helped me dish out a plate at the buffet, including a huge mound of what he called cottage cheese. As I dug in, I was horrified to find out the cottage cheese was horseradish. It was traumatizing, LOL. But since then, horseradish is one of my favorite foods. I better try them chips. Canadians coming up at 7 o'clock currently on the ice late in the second period. Buffalo leading Boston 3-1. It is a 2-1 lead for the Rangers over the Flyers with three minutes to go in the second. Last minute in the first. No score. Predators and Blackhawks. Blue Jays on the ice tonight. Or on the ice. Blue Jays on the diamond tonight. Leading Tampa 4-0. Oil Kings will play tomorrow against Medicine Hat. Oilers Monday in Winnipeg. 5.30 face-off show game at 7 here on 6.30. Ched, just uh, want to catch up on a couple of text messages uh, quickly here before we bring John Scott onto the show. Uh, this texter says, uh, I want to find out more about the expansion draft. Can Seattle pick anybody they want from our farm team? Do the Oilers have to protect people on the farm? How does that work? Okay, basically the Oilers can pr- protect uh, 11 people. Oh, pardon me, that's not totally correct. They, they can protect either seven forwards, three defensemen, and a goalie, or they can protect eight skaters, any position, and one goalie. So it's either a total of 11 or a total of nine. If, if a player is in his first or second year of pro, he does not have to be protected and he cannot be selected. So some of the really new players uh, won't have to be protected if they're in their first or second year of pro. If you're on a pro contract and you're on the farm, you're going to be available. So Tyler Benson, for example, might be exposed. But each, but Seattle can only take one player on each team. So they can't just pick a team dry. The Oilers are going to lose one player in the expansion draft. That's it. Um and to that texture, I, there, there are, there's a little more nuance to it, but I think just me reading out all the provisions might get a little uh, eye glazing after a while. You, if you can give it a Google, just put in Seattle expansion draft rules and there's tons of stories on it, um, but they can't pick anybody they want from the farm team. They, if you're in your first or second year pro, whether you're in the NHL or the AHL, you can't be picked. Uh, Will says, what are the chances of acquiring a winger that has to have speed and shooting as part of developing chemistry on a top line with Connor, like a Dylan Larkin? Well, Will, I think that's an off-season story for the Oilers is that they still need a top six winger, preferably somebody on the left side. Is it specifically going to be Dylan Larkin? I don't think so. I mean, that's why I was telling people leading up to the 
to the trade deadline. The story for the Oilers is not getting Taylor Hall at the trade deadline. The story for the Oilers is will they go after Taylor Hall in the summer if he's not already re-signed by Boston? Another appealing free agent, currently a free agent, again, if he's not re-signed by his current team, is uh, Thomas Tatar with the uh, Montreal Canadiens, who I believe is only 30 years of age. He is, and he's a pretty good player. He's making $5.3 million this season. He's a pretty good shooter. We've seen him score some nice goals against the Oilers over the year. Uh, Larkin makes 6.1. He's under contract to Detroit for a couple more years. You'd have to trade to get him. And I was talking about 1980s television. Luke says some of the best 80s television was Oilers versus Flames, Oilers versus Jets, Oilers versus Islanders, etc. LOL from Luke. Thank you, Luke. That is a good one. I am pleased to welcome back to the show a guy who played eight years in the National Hockey League. He was an MVP of an all-star game. He's now the host of his own podcast called Dropping the Gloves. It is John Scott. John, you're on with Reed. Nice to talk to you, man. How are you doing? Thanks for having me back, Reed. I'm doing well. Doing real well. That, that is good. I'm always happy to talk to you. How is life in the podcast world? You, you get it? Like, you must have millions of people subscribing to that. It's millions, billions. No, it's, it's doing good. <laughs> We, uh, we just started uh, doing more interviews with players, so it's making it a little more interesting. Uh, it's fun. You know, we're reaching out to the guys currently playing. It's kind of changing the show up a little bit, but it's fun. I was actually thinking for the Oilers for that question of a winger, Ovechkin's going to be a free agent this offseason. Why not bring Ovi in? How fun would that be? He would fit great with your group out there. Can you imagine that? Like, would he, ever, would he ever not play for the Washington Capitals? But, but like, that that would be incredible. Just have him stand over there on the power play and just bang pucks away. Be awesome. It would be incredible. I think he would leave if the situation was right. And obviously Edmonton, it's a good situation if you're a goal scorer and you want to put some points up. Like, it doesn't get any better than playing with McDavid. So, I don't know. It would be worth a shot. Not that he's going to leave Washington, but you know, stranger things have happened. You see it over there. A guy leaves the team. It's like, no, he's never going to leave. And then Tom Brady ends up in Tampa Bay. Or Chara ends up in Washington. It's just, you know, it's possible. Well, you know, it's it's fun you brought that up. Uh, I mean, Ovechkin is making nine and a half million this season. It's interesting. Look, Ovechkin's an incredible player, but I think you, you, you'll be interesting to get your insight into this, John, because you think like a player. You understand the world of money and contract negotiations. But is it not fair to say some really good players might not hit home runs with contracts because of the flat cap and because I don't know if GMs have a lot of money to throw around this summer? Oh, I think that's obvious. I think you even saw it this offseason where guys were looking to hit a home run and they had to sign one- and two-year deals. And so no one knows when the flat cap's going to end. Like, they have a good idea in a few years, but who knows what when we're allowed to have fans in the stands. A Canadian, you guys, like, I'm in... In Michigan, we've kind of laxed uh, the COVID restrictions. My parents live in Ontario, and they're still locked down. They can't even leave their house for Pete's sake unless they have a good reason to. So uh, who knows what's going to happen, right? It's all up in the air, but I don't see guys hitting massive contracts this offseason either. I think if you're really going to have a big contract, it's going to be a few years out. But for a guy like Ovechkin, he's already made like $100 bucks in his career. I, I could see him taking a discount to going to a really – you know, cup-contending, exciting team, and that's the Oilers in a nutshell. That'd be amazing. Like to be like that—that that would be an incredible storyline. If he, I mean, if he just said, I mean, obviously he would still be well paid, but if he was just like, hey, like four million bucks, I'll sign a one-year deal. 
and just just fire one timers from Leon or Connor all winter long in Edmonton. <laughs> Well, if he wants to get catch the goal scoring record, like he, he could catch it if he goes to Edmonton for a few years, I think. Like it would be so incredible. <laughs> I don't know. It'll never happen, but just it's it's fun to do what if. Yeah, oh yeah. That well that's part of the part of the fun. And usually more trade deadline free agency we do that, but that is an interesting one. So tell me I mean, you mentioned Ovechkin's career earnings. Do players think about Okay, I gotta have, I gotta make this much per season because this guy on another team is similar to me and he makes that much. Do, do they only think that way, or do they think like you said, hey, you know what? If I sign this contract and then sign another one, then my total career earnings are going to be this, and that's a, a really good number. Like, do they think season by season, or do they think career earnings? Well, it depends on what stage you are in your career. I know when I was kind of just starting my career, not that I was like a huge point getter, but I had a chance to go to Edmonton. And they made a big push for me. McTavish, I talked to him. I talked to Kevin Lowell. I talked to a bunch of guys in the organization. And I was about to sign a contract, but they weren't doing very well. Like, you had just drafted Taylor Hall. It was a young team. Even the GM, he's like, I think it was McTavish at the time. He said, listen, we're going to be in the rebuild we see you here long term, and then he offered me a contract. And I was about to sign it, and then my agent's like, hold on, Chicago might be in play. In Chicago, I just won the cup. I was like, that's interesting. So when you're a young player, you want to put yourself in a position to succeed on a winning team because other teams want guys from that team, you know, who are successful. And so I took less money to go to Chicago for um, a little less term, and it worked out. I had a longer career, but who knows if I would have went to Edmonton, if I would have been a bigger part or anything, but... I think guys look for a good situation where they can catapult themselves, you know, for the next two or three contracts when they're younger. But when they're older, you're just looking like a from the cup. You're you're looking for a chance to win, and I don't think money is as big of an issue. Yeah, well, and I mean Taylor Hall is going to be interesting to see. Now I know when he got traded to Boston, he he said all the right things and said I'd like to resign with the Bruins. And why wouldn't he say that? He's been on four teams in the last two years, right? So I'm sure he's he's looking for a little bit, a little bit of stability. But there, well, there's he said that in Buffalo too. He said that before right. he went to Buffalo in the one year. He's like, I want to extend this. So I think that's just you know FaceTime for the Bruins. It's him saying that. What what, what do you make of Hall's season? And his, uh, because like he's, he's, people still talk about him a lot here, right? And there's still some people who are like, I'd love to get this guy back. They never should have traded him. And then it's interesting too, because there are some other fans who are like, what are you talking about at the deadline? He had two goals. Why would you, why would you trade him? Like, who is Taylor Hall, John? And how much do you put on what's happened this season? Yeah, it's tough. It's Buffalo is such a strange city where, they do all the right things and you think, you know, it's going to work. And everybody who goes there, they just underperform. Uh, and I don't understand it, whether the Jeff Skinner had one good year, but he's tanked. Ryan O'Reilly went there and tanked and everybody who goes there, they just don't perform. And then when they leave, they just light it up. So I wouldn't take that season, you know, to just encompass his whole, his whole career. He's a good hockey player. Like, don't like, I, I think everybody knows that, but What's his value now? Like this off season, is he going to get the seven, $8 million that he's expecting? I don't think so. Will a GM be crazy enough to sign him? But I think his range is the $5 million, you know, give him another one year deal, a two year deal. But I'm not investing a lot of money in that guy because he just like, even the last few years, he hasn't been the same guy that he was at Edmonton or New Jersey three years ago. So I don't know. He's a good player. He's still young, but 
would you, being an oiler guy, throw seven million bucks at him for three, four, five years and say, okay, this is my guy. I'm going to hitch my cart to him. Like that's that's scary to me. That's a little, I would be a little nervous if I did that. Yeah, I I don't think the I don't think the Oilers would do, would do that. But they do need, and you I assume you see the team play. They're oh, yeah. they're they're good. They're not great. They could use another finisher in the top six. Easier said than done. I threw out a couple of names. I don't know if they can get that, guys. But to me, that's one of the key positions that right now is separating them from being a top-tier team. Yeah, the scoring wingers are hard to come by. You saw Boston struggled with and another team. They're just they're not easy to come by. And getting a guy like Larkin, who's still young, and he flies around the ice and he can keep up with McDavid and Dreinsidel, that would be ideal, but he's not cheap. You know, and Detroit's just not going to give him up. Stevie Eisenman's not. He's no dummy. You know, so it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. We talk about this every year with Edmonton, and I beat it to death on my podcast. It's like, man, like, it's just so sad that they're wasting these guys' careers. They're the two best players on the planet, in my opinion, and they've been dragging this team for four or five years now, and they just can't get them any help. But it, it's nice. You, Edmonton has a defensive core now. They're starting to build some pieces, but it's still it's not enough. It's not enough even to compete with Toronto and Winnipeg. You need more. And I don't I don't know where the answer is. They they got to hit the draft somehow and get some young kids to you know sign for cheap because you just can't go out and dump five six million dollars on another first or second line guy. You just can't do it with a flat cap. Yeah. See, I I'm gonna I'm gonna counter what you said a little bit because I I do think Toronto is the favorite in the North. I actually think Winnipeg is the best matchup for the Oilers because I think they can get on Winnipeg's decor. Now, I know if Hellebuck is lights out, he's as good as anybody, but I think Montreal, especially the way they played Edmonton the last two games, which we're going to get into, I think Montreal might be a tougher matchup uh, than Winnipeg would be for the Oilers if they if they came down to that. But you still think the Jets would have the edge on Edmonton, eh? Uh, I don't know. That's a tough series. There's, gosh, if Wheeler comes back, I think Winnipeg's a different team. But it all depends on that. And Hellebuck is just such an animal on that. Like, he's so incredibly good. He can win you one, two, three games in a series just like that because he's so incredibly good. So, I know, like you said, if they can get on their defense, if they can get them turning, going back and picking up pucks, they, they're, Winnipeg's defense does not want to do that. That's their Achilles heel. But, uh, man, I, I don't know. I, I, I hate to say it on Edmonton radio. I'm still taking Winnipeg in a series. But it, uh, it's all dependent on Blake Wheeler if he's back and if he's healthy. Yeah, that's, that's a fair call because he's, he's, so, he's so good back there. And, and I think for Edmonton, you mentioned the scoring winger. They don't have a third-line center. They, they hoped it would be Turris. And the, the, the D's better than it has been in a while. We'll see what Kulikov does, right? If, if Kulikov plays well, to me, that balances out the pairings because you bump Russell yeah. down and Lagason and Jones are the extra guys. Yeah, no, I, I like their defense. Like, Darnell Nurse, in my opinion, is a Norris candidate. He, he has just had a great season. He's done everything they've asked him for and more. Ethan Bear has been playing okay. They, like, Tyson Berry's resurrected his career in Edmonton. They have a good team. Uh, I like the back end. Mike Smith's been playing, playing well. I'm, I'm good friends with Al Stalock. And I'm like, oh, you're going to go in there, you're going to get some time. And he's like, Mike Smith is like playing lights out lately. So I don't know if I'm ever going to see the ice. But uh, yeah, it, it's just all dependent on if they can kind of ease the load on Connor and, you know, get some other guys to pop a goal in here and there. Because if they can do that, like they're a good team. You can count on Connor to score a goal a game. And well, same with Leon Dreinsdale. He's going to get a goal a game. 
it's just a matter of you know can we get some secondary scoring and we, it's just it's every year we talk about this they bring in guys it just doesn't work I don't know what what it's going to take to get a decent third and fourth line there yeah yeah, I, st- I still kind of think they have two fourth lines. I don't think they have a true third line. I think Pugliarvi and Yamamoto are still early in their careers, and there's um, potential there. And, like, Yamamoto's just – I was joking with Rob Brown that not a lot of enforcers get drafted in the first round, but I guess Yamamoto did. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what you want to draft here. That's funny. <laughs> That's a good one. John Scott joining us on uh, Inside Sportsite. Okay, so a lot of discussion about those games between the Canadians and the Oilers. I mean, man, they were physical. They were mean. Um, I, I'm not sure that they they enforced the rules the way a lot of people liked. I, I think on both sides of the fence for that one. Uh, you know, what did, what did you make of those? And that might have been the type of game where you might have had to settle it down in the role uh, you used to play. Well, yeah, I think that's what you expect at this time of year. You know, the, the season goes in a certain trajectory where at the beginning of the year, the refs are going to set the tone. It's like, okay, we're not going to take anything. We're going to call some penalties and they're just, you know, penalties up to yin-yang. And then as the season goes on, the players kind of learn. And then once the last week or two weeks of the season goes, it's it's every man for themselves. And, it, like, it's playoff hockey. And I think the refs understand. The refs don't want to decide a game at the end of the season. They don't want to cost someone the playoffs. They don't want to be the story. So the whistles get put away for the most part, and they just let the boys play. And it's fun to watch. I don't know why you would complain about that. It's just so it's so much more intense, and it just makes it so fun. Like, I love seeing Connor go over to Corey Perry and give him one in the face. Like, I, I think it's great. I love Jason running into Kerry Price and him answering the bell the next game. It's awesome. Like, it makes it so much more enjoyable. I don't know. These people who are complaining, it's like, just go away. Like, don't watch them. This is how hockey's supposed to be played. It's unbelievable. Well, I mean, it I, just drives I, me nuts. Well, see, I'm one of the... Okay, here's my argument, John. And I love oh, having boy. these discussions with you. No, this is great. This is great. I thought, at some point, I think you got to... To me, it's the cross-checking, Okay. I don't mind body checking. I don't mind intimidation. I don't mind doing stuff after the whistle. If you got to fight, you got to fight. I think at some point the refs have to say, look, you can't like chase a guy around the ice and cross check him. We're going to call that. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's where you nailed it on the head when you said, this is where you need a guy like me to step in there. Because if you had a person who could settle that down and say, listen, if you, you know, touch my guy again, I'm going to beat your doors off. Like it's, it's going to happen. But they don't have anybody like that. And you can't do it because you take an extra two. So there is this just kind of a free pass you give to these guys. And, yeah, I agree that the cross-checking, the little ticky-tack stuff like that. I don't know. I was watching the – who was it last night? The San Jose Sharks were playing somebody. And someone cross-checked Bernsey. I think it's Pacioretty from Vegas. Bernsey just, like, went after him. And I was like, that's great because it was a dirty cross-check. It's unnecessary. And – it just takes one guy to kind of just don't cross-check. You, you just drop him and you just dummy him or just whatever. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't like those sorts of plays. I don't think they belong in the game. So who in the league right now, because I, I was texting with, with somebody yesterday, because somebody wrote into the show and said the Oilers should have a guy, even if he doesn't play, he just scares people and just sits on the bench as a bit of a deterrent. Is, like, is, would Ryan Reeves be the scariest guy in the league right now? Like, how many guys are on that scary list? I don't know if he's number one anymore. I think guys have just kind of gotten used to Ryan, where he doesn't, you know, fight that much anymore, and he just doesn't 
he doesn't seem to hit like he used to hit anymore. So I don't know if he's even the scariest guy. You know who I like is Nick Delorier from Anaheim. Oh. I um I just like the way he plays. He gets up and down the ice, and he's not in a total waste of space out there. Like, he's actually pretty pretty competent on the ice, and he just he buries guys. He gets in on the forecheck. He can, you know, protect. He fights. He's tough as a son of a gun. I played with him for a little bit in Buffalo, and boy, he's got, like, he's got arms longer than I am, and he's, like, six inches shorter. So, he, I don't know. I, I like Nick Deloria. So, if Edmonton go and grab him, he would be a good get. I think they get him for fairly cheap, but uh, I think you need someone. You know, you need a guy to and Zach Cassian does a good job, but he's you know been injured, and I don't think he strikes fear in the opponents like some other guys in the league do. Yeah, yeah, it is it is interesting because obviously things things are changing, and you and I have talked about that before. Even since the five years you retired, I think things have changed, but retaliation and intimidation and aggression are, are still important parts of. Uh, uh, of hockey and I know see I, I wonder what you think about this because as you know I work with Rob Brown and he also says if you're a star player you don't also don't want somebody running to your defense every time you do want to stand up for yourself on certain occasions and I think Connor and Leon have done a, a bit of that I mean they've delivered some cheap shots too <laughs> yeah but, you know there's a time and a place you have to like create your own space as Gordy Howe once said but you know they can't be doing that night in and night out it's like their job is to score goals and you know put the team on their back and I played with some pretty high-end guys and it was always great when Johnny Taves would you know drop the gloves and protect himself but at the end of the day he's sitting in the box for five minutes and he could break his hand or get hurt so you don't want to be doing that that often so you need someone there to kind of protect them and i know it sounds silly and everyone thinks it doesn't do anything but it does i've talked to other teams i've talked to star players and they say when you're in the lineup it changes the way the team plays against me and i i i think like no like a prime example is when we played ottawa um chris neal was the, the biggest hitter in the nhl for years and whenever we played ottawa he was like a church mouse you would never hear a peep from him he didn't hit anybody you'd look at the statute he would have maybe one hit and it's just because I was a deterrent. And I didn't do anything. I didn't talk to him. There was no fighting. But I just, he knew. You know what I mean? And it's, it's a very real human factor where you know if you touch someone, there will be a response. And it's real. Guys know it. I don't care if you say you're not scared or anything. You are scared. It's, it's a human thing. And the Oilers need somebody. If Connor's getting harassed and so it drives idolized, like, you need someone there to kind of strike fear in the opponent. It just, you have to have it. You invest all this money in these guys, you've got to have something there to protect them. It's silly not to. Oh, that was a long rant. I'm sorry. No, that's well. This that's why we have you on because you have the perspective of on the ice. I mean, I can you know we can talk to a lot of different people. I can give my opinion, but that's that that's why we have you. As long as um, you know, and I I would have loved to see you go head to head with Yamamoto in the corner. That would have been incredible. <laughs> <laughs> that is it's, funny. You're, you're a foot taller than him. Car, I know. You buy a sports car, you put an alarm system on it, right? You don't just leave it parked in the garage with the keys in it. You want something to protect your sports car. That's all. And it's a very cheap investment to go up to get like a Nick Delorier for a million bucks a year. I think that just makes a lot of sense. I don't know. Uh, no, I'm not this, was, school, I guess. this was awesome. Quickly before I let you go, who who wins the North? I'll give you a prediction. Who wins the, the two playoff rounds? Yeah, it's got to be Toronto. If Toronto doesn't win, heads are going to roll. Uh, they're they did so well at the deadline. They're just, they have to win. They have to. Sorry. All right. No, well, I, I said, I've said they're the favorite. Uh, where do people find the podcast? 
Um, anywhere you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, it's all over the place. Thank you for pumping it. I appreciate it. It's called Dropping the Gloves. John, thanks for coming on, man. Love having you as a guest. No problem, Marie. Thanks for having me. We'll talk soon, my son. That is John Scott. This is Inside Sports on Chet. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.